hype introductions make me want to do hype sermons. So let me loosen up a little bit here. No. Um, it is good to be here with you all. Uh, glad for another uh, new uh, Covenant community class. Uh, just excited what the Lord is doing. Uh, that actually brings us up above 100 Covenant members. Um, and so that's just kind of cool to see um, 11 to 100. And God just keeps growing our family and, and putting different faces in it. It's just really cool. So uh, fun to be a part of. Um, all right. So we're doing a very kind of short sermon series on mission or why mission matters, all right? And um, this is kind of wrapping up what we've been talking about over the past really couple of months, both uh, in Sunday service and in our community groups as a whole is, hey, why is it that we talk about missions? Why do we do missions? Why do we think about missions? Like, what does this mean? What does this look like in our day-to-day interactions in the world around us? And so uh, today we'll be thinking about mission. Last week, uh, Todd talked about kind of the story of redemption, and he started off in Genesis chapter uh, 2 and carried us all the way to the end of Revelation. And anytime that you give a pastor uh, that much scripture to cover, it may be a long service, but it wasn't. He did a great job last week. And so uh, just talking about the story of redemption and how really God is the ultimate missionary, okay? Like, like don't miss that. We, we just saw it on the sermon bumper. Like, like God is the ultimate missionary. In Genesis chapter three, after Adam and Eve fell, it was God who came to them. They didn't come back to God. They hid from God. God came to Adam and Eve and God has been doing that ever since. God comes to us in our brokenness, in our messed up state and condition. It is God who reaches out. God is the missionary. In a lot of ways, when you think about the triune God, it's kind of cool to see uh, God the Father almost as kind of like, the sending agency. Like if you guys are familiar with missions like Crew or East West or somebody, there are people that are kind of located home base, we call it. And they send out the missionaries and kind of support them and encourage them. And the father sends out the son. The son goes as kind of the first missionary. We see him there in Genesis 3. We see him obviously in the gospels. And then he sends the Holy Spirit as the last missionary to dwell inside of us and then make us his ambassadors. The triune God is all a part of this mission effort to win the the world for the sake of his glory, that men and women may know who he is. Redemption, that we would have a, a re-reconciled relationship with God. And so it's God is the one who calls us. God is the one who comes to us. God is the one who reaches out to us. And now God in his gracious providence has called us to be representatives for him. And so God doesn't just leave this as, as kind of a him and him alone. Israel was supposed to be that kind of a, a come and see model and they didn't really fu- fully fulfill that. And now the church is a go and tell model. God is using us as his representatives to try to make much of his name. But all behind that, we wanna hear God is the ultimate missionary. God is the ultimate missionary. Okay, so <clears throat> um, this week we're gonna be focusing on the person and the work of Jesus and the importance of the gospel behind that. And so the person work of Jesus, what, what did he do? What was his uh, call, okay, is the one thing we'll look at. What was his work? Like what did he actually do when he was here on earth? And then what is his command to us in light of that? So Jesus' call, his work, and his commands to us, okay? Um, one of the things that you will tell that will be different about this sermon than many others is that I will most definitely down that whole bottle of water because I was sick this whole week, all right? And already I feel a little like scratchiness. So you have to give a little bit of grace. I don't know how to do like the slide, take a drink in between reading, all right? I'm more like, if you remember back 2013, Marco Rubio had a really weird announcement where he like, do you remember that, some of you? That's how I feel every time I try to drink. So grace above, all right? Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, John chapter three, that's where we're going to be today. Um, 
We'll be there for most of the day. Uh, you can go ahead. Everybody's looking at me now. Is he going to do it smooth? I'm not. So I just already told you that, all right? John chapter 3, we're going to uh, be resting out, camping out there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to take the one that you find under the chair and uh, keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word of God to be able to use it, read it throughout the week. And so uh, please take and keep that one. You can also follow along on your smartphones if you wish. Uh, if you have the version app, underneath the tab section, type in the Well Austin and you'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, if you don't have the Uversion app, you can actually take uh, this link and you can put it right into your browser and you'll be able to follow along that way. We want you to have the Word of God, okay? The reason that we have all these outlets because we want your eyes on the Word, so be it through your phone, your book, whatever it may be. Like, we want you to see that these words are not coming from man, all right, but that we're trying to submit to what God has already laid out for us in His Holy Scriptures, okay? And so, um, as you turn there, John chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in probably one of the most famous verses in Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16. says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. According to Bible Gateway, which is an online Bible search tool, uh, this is the most searched for uh, verse in all of scripture. And it has been for the last nine years since they started tracking that. And so this is like one of the more famous, like if you have seen people at football games, they're holding up this sign, John three sixteen. Uh, a lot of times the athletes, like they have the little, uh, the blackout underneath their eyes. They, they write that on there. Like this is a very, very, very famous verse. Matter of fact, you could not have grown up in church. This may be your first time at church since you were like two, or maybe first time ever you uh, could be very familiar. And there's a strong likelihood that you've at least kind of heard this verse reference. If not, you may kind of have this verse memorized. It's probably in the King James version that you have it memorized, all right? But like, we've heard this verse over and over and over again. Here's the problem, okay? Familiarity breeds a lack of focus, a lack of passion, and a lack of awe, all right? Familiarity breeds a lack of focus, a lack of passion, and a lack of awe. All right. Uh, we see this a lot in people who have been married for several years, right? We start seeing marital problems kind of jump up because oftentimes if they're not careful, they just kind of lose the, the wonder and the awe of their spouse. When they were dating, they were infatuated with one another and they pursued one another. They tried to learn about each other and then they kind of got married and, and life started happening and, and kids started happening and they started losing this awe because there was familiarity there. Familiarity is a danger a lot of times to think that are precious for us, okay? I know I'm tempted to do it in my marriage. I'm tempted to do it with scripture like this where I can just kind of say it in my head like I lose the awe and the impact that the verse like this is supposed to have, right? And we see it all the time in various relationships. That's why, men, you need to date your wives, okay? You need to date your wives. If you are married, date your wives, okay? Ask her questions. Be a, 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 a pursuing her. Think about her, all right? But that's for our relationship series, and that's not till after Easter. So let me stay focused, all right? Um, in predominantly black churches, like churches where I grew up, uh, when the preacher kind of goes off topic, okay, the typical response from the congregation is, help him, Lord. Help him, Lord, all right? That's kind of like a roundabout polite way of saying, come on, boss. We don't feel like being here all day, man. Stay on point, all right? Help him, Lord. Come on, all right. So John 3, let's stay on point. 
Uh, John 3, okay, is familiar to a lot of us, right? Like, it's familiar. We don't want it to lose uh, its, its impact. We don't want to lose all of it. We don't want to lose focus because of familiarity. So let's focus in for a second. Like, we're going to be focusing on the verse that most of us probably are most familiar with. That's our main text for today is this, okay? For God so loved the world, Right? World is not an awesome word, doesn't inspire awe just because of how big the world is. When you and I say the word world, we usually think of the bigness of the world, right? Like, man, God loves seven billion people. What? And and all the people who have lived before us, like God loves all of these people. Well, that's a fascinating thing. And it is. Without doubt, like it definitely is, okay? However, when John uses the word world in the Gospel of John, which by the way, he uses some 90 times, okay, this is a very, this, John, John keeps flooding us with this word, all right? When he uses this word, I'm sorry, he uses it 70 times, it's 90 times in the whole New Testament, and John is using it over and over and over. He's the one that uses it a lot. Uh, he's using it in a very different way. Go back to John chapter 1, verse 9. It's the first time he uses this word, world. He says, the true light, which is Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Okay? It's the first time he uses this. So when the, world, uh, when the word world is used in the Gospel of John, he's often not highlighting how big the world is. Instead, John is often highlighting how bad the world is. When he's talking about the world, he's saying, look, the, the, this, this, this cosmos, this place where we live, this bad sin-infected area. See, the world is not full of light people, right? Like Jesus came into the world to bring in light where there was darkness. The world is not full of light people. The world is full of sin. The world is full of death. The world is full of hatred and, and envy and pride and things that are anti-God, things that are against who God is. So God doesn't just love the world and that's fascinating because of how big the world is. God loves the world and that's fascinating because of how bad the world is. This is saying something about the love of God. Like if every single person in the world was like the person that you love most, like maybe a spouse or, or a child or a really, really dear friend to you, like it would still honestly be hard to love the whole world, even if you were eternal and infinite like God. Because even the person that loves you the most sometimes can kind of get on your nerves, right? Don't shake your head if you're married, all right? They're sitting next to you probably, okay? But like sometimes the person you care about the most still kind of rubs you the wrong way, but it would be pretty easy to love the whole world if it was like the most lovable type of people. Even when they frustrate you and wrong you, kind of deep down, you know, you still have this affection for them, right? But this phrase is amazing because God loves all of us who are at our darkest, who are our deepest amount of sin. We're, we're filled with sin, we're dead. And we often make war against a holy God, whether we realize it or not, that's the condition of our hearts is that we kind of make war. And so God isn't just loving a bunch of friends. God's loving a bunch of Donald Trumps. <laughs> right? <laughs> or Hillary or Bernie or whoever kind of is getting on your nerves right now. And let me say this. Don't think that you're better than them. If not for the grace of God, you would be just, just as violent and saying terrible, awful things. I've seen it too much on Facebook, particularly from Christians. We're dogging these men, these women, as if we're so much better. You think you're that much better? No. This is a fascinating thing, okay, because the world is a bunch of Donald Trumps. 
you and me, right? People who are filled with, with all these weird thoughts and sayings and things that are kind of anti-God and anti-the faith, like that's who God loves. So I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just trying to bring up a relevant issue, right? Like all of us are in that boat. So if you like Donald, but you really don't like Hillary, guess what? You're kind of like a Hillary in God's mind. If you, if, you, if you don't like Hillary, you like Donald, whatever, I don't care what it is. Wherever you're at on that spectrum or whatever you can think of to kind of put a negative picture of humanity in your mind, like maybe it's the, the, the Russian president or maybe it's uh, the North Korean president or maybe it's some sports figure. Or I don't know what world you're in, okay? But I want to paint for us, we aren't all a bunch of our best friends that God is loving, we're a bunch of broken, sin-filled, messed up people. That's the world, okay? And so the fact that God loves the whole world, the fact that that phrase starts off, for God so loved the world, that is an unbelievable phrase there. And so we wanna make sure that we understand that, right? We wanna make sure that we, that we, we, we walk in light of that, of that understanding that God loves us all, okay? So let's get back to our verse. For God so loved the world, Okay, that he gave up his toolbox, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. What? <laughs> Is that not what that verse reads? I mean, we lose familiarity, right? I just want to make sure y'all are awake, all right? <laughs> we lose familiarity. Now listen, I'm being serious, okay? What does the text say? For God so loved the world that he gave up his only what? His son, <laughs> Okay, not his toolbox, but his son. God so loved this dark, twisted, lawless, hate-filled, prideful, sin-stricken world that he gave up his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, listen, friends. If this verse said, for God so loved the world that he gave up his toolbox, this would still be a really, really awesome thing. Do you know why? Because redemption would still be able to be had between me and you and God. Like we would still be able to be saved if he gave up his toolbox and maybe that was something that was really dear to God. Like maybe God really enjoyed his trusty hammer that he hung up all the pictures in heaven and he kind of gave it up for the sake of you. Like that's still kind of an awesome thing. But the reason that this verse is awesome isn't because he gave up something small. He gave up his son, his only son, his perfect, never sinning, never, never in rebellion, just like him son gave up that we may be saved into this dark world that we may be saved. Like, listen, okay, I love you guys, but I ain't giving up Micaiah for you. I ain't giving up Kyria for you, all right? Like, that, that, that would be a, a terribly hard ask, wouldn't it? Hey, you know what, give, give, up, give up Kyria so that they, can be, that they can be brought, like, that's a hard, hard, hard ask. Because you know, if you're a parent, there's, a, there's something unique, there's something special about that child-parent relationship, right? Where automatically, though, they tend to sin against you all the time, and though they tend to frustrate you all the time, and they tend to rub you the wrong way, there's something in your heart that automatically is drawn to them to love them, to sacrifice for them. This is God's only son. That relationship that we feel naturally as parents, if you're a parent, or you know, if you have a parent, most of them are probably good parents, though despite their faults and their flaws, they try to love you well. Like, this natural thing that happens there, God gave that up. There's also an intrinsic uh, depth that we see here about God's relationship with himself, 
okay? Because once again, if it said God gave up his toolbox, I'm, I'm meaning that. That would be a pretty cool thing. But he gave up his son. And the reason that it's important for us to know strong doctrine, by the way, is because that makes verses like this jump alive for us. It is good if you understand the doctrine of the Trinity, that God has existed from, from uh, 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 eternity past to eternity future, and he is in perfect harmony and relationship with himself. The Father, Son, and the Spirit have always been giving to one another, been loving one another, been pouring out for one another, been encouraging one another, been blessing one another. The Father loving the Son and giving himself to the Son. The Son loving the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit loving the Son and the Father. There is this beautiful, intricate dance called the Trinity that we see all throughout Scripture, and it was severed for a moment in history so that you and I may be brought redemption. God so loved the world, he didn't give up his toolbox. He didn't give up his, his, his car. He didn't give up a bunch of money. He gave up his son that we would be able to see the gospel. So don't let your hearts become dull or numb to this message right here, okay? Like, like I, I don't even know what else to say except to try to tell you to, to try, even in this moment, to command your heart to believe this truth. Like your heart, what it's going to want to do is think about what you're doing after church today, right? It's going to want to think about, uh, I already know this verse, I've heard this before. I've already, like command your heart, if you can, just for a moment, to try to even begin to grasp and to believe this beautiful truth that we call the gospel. That God loves you. God gave up the thing that is most precious to him, the, the person that is most precious to him in his son, that you may be brought about to redemption, this is an unbelievable truth that speaks to the power of God's love, God drawing you back into relationship with himself. And listen, friends, from Genesis chapter three, which we looked at last week, all the way up until this point in the gospels, everything is pointing to this redemption coming, that God is for his glory and this is a good thing for us and he is for our redemption and praise the Lord for that. He is for our redemption and every single story bleeds that and speaks that out, that there is a coming king that will save us and that king is Jesus. In Genesis chapter 22, one of the more famous stories of this, one of the more famous foreshadowings, Abraham is asked by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. So God gave him a promise Abraham lived without a son for 20 plus years. Finally, God kind of came through on that promise, gave Abraham a son at 100 and, and Sarah that son at 90. And, and that was just as crazy then as it is today. All right. It's not like this because it's the Bible is different. Like this is crazy, right? Like they both said, our wombs are dead. They cannot hold a son. God came through on that promise. And then we fast forward a little bit, probably about 12 years later. God says, hey, I want you to take your son and worship. Okay, God, that's cool. What does that mean? I want you to sacrifice him. What? You know? And we don't get the behind the story scene, okay? But you gotta believe like Abraham is not a cardboard, piece of cardboard, all right? He has emotions, he has feelings, he's a person, he's you and me. And so he's probably wrestling with God. I ain't hear from God. That wasn't the Lord, <laughs> you know? And he hears it again. He presses it again. So Abraham goes and he's with his son and they're walking up the hill and, and his son's carrying the wood, he says. And, and Isaac says, Father, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says to him, don't worry, the Lord will provide the lamb. Fast forward, Isaac is tied down on the altar and we don't really know what's, what's happening in Isaac's mind. Is he crying out to his dad? Is he just kind of laying there submissively? If it, we, we don't really know. We don't get that part of the story, but I got to imagine if I'm 12, I'm not just like, go ahead, father, <laughs> right? 
He's probably saying, Dad, what are you doing? What, what, is, what are you doing? What are you doing? And as Abraham lifts up the knife to kill his son, God says, stop, stops his hand and says, hey, there's a ram in the bush. Get it and lay it and sacrifice that instead. Notice that Abraham prophesied that God would provide a lamb. And in that story, God provided a ram because the lamb was Jesus who was going to come, okay? But here's what we do. When we read that story, it should sound preposterous to you. It should sound like, what the heck is God doing? Like that is an okay feeling to feel when you are reading, why would he do this? Like this is his promise, what is God doing? It is preposterous. It's what he did in Jesus. That's why this John three sixteen should be so mind-blowing to us because this doesn't make sense. God has offered up his son that you might be saved. That is crazy. That's unbelievable truth. Command your heart to believe that truth because it doesn't. It's why you don't believe that God loves you. It's why you go about in your day-to-day life doing different things and and falling into sin and and frustrated with God because your heart does not realize the preposterous, scandalous grace that God has given you and offering up his son that you might be saved. This is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And all throughout the Old Testament— We see this, right? I wish I had time to go through all the different Old Testament foreshadowings. But Jesus is the the true manna in the wilderness, the true, that can truly offer us food. He's the true water from the rock. If you read just two verses before, it says he's the true serpent that's been lifted up that all men may look on him and be saved. If you're familiar with that story, Moses is in the, the, the desert, right? They're getting bit by fiery serpents because they've sinned. God says, hey, take one of these serpents, put it up on a staff and hold it up and everybody who looks to it will be saved. And Jesus says, I am that person. The wrath of God should have been consuming you, but instead we'll take that very thing that's supposed to consume you and nail him up. And if you look to him, you'll be saved. Jesus is the greater serpent on the rock. He's the the perfect sacrificial lamb that no animal lamb or goat or ram could ever fully fulfill for our sins. He's the greater Moses as a prophet. He's the greater Aaron and Melchizedek as a high priest. He's the greater Abraham as our forefather. He's the greater king in David. He killed the greater uh, 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 sin in Satan and Goliath. Abraham or or David is nothing more but a foreshadow to that. He's the perfect fulfillment of the law. He's the blood on the doorpost that his blood is over us and we will be saved and God will pass over us. He's the wiser Solomon, the more faithful prophet. Jesus is everything that we need, nothing that we deserve. And God gave him up for you and for I that we may be saved. Friends, God loves. God loves. God loves you. This is a fascinating truth. If you doubt God's love, like look at this verse and don't. I don't know what else to say. Like don't, like don't doubt God's love. He who did not spare his own son, Paul says in Romans 8, will he not give you all things? Like if he's willing to go this far, the thing that is most dear to him and his son, won't he give you all things? There may be suffering now. There may be suffering now. That's why we're saying, uh, he gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. There may be suffering now. And that may not even be able to be fully understood, but one day the suffering will end and you will be made new again and brought back into relationship with God. God loves you, friends. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. I, I don't. But God loves you. He already gave his son. Would he not give you all things? And so I know often people struggle whether or not God loves them. I know that I struggle with this often. Let me preach one bad sermon or a sermon I feel like is bad. And the whole week I'm wondering if God loves me. What type of foolishness is that? 
Like God loves me based on my merit. God loves me based on what his son did on the cross. Like God loves you based on your sin or lack of sin. God loves you because of what his son did on the cross. God loves the world and it's proof for that, okay? So here's what I want you to do right now. I really don't care if this is weird. I wrestled with this and I was like, this is weird. I don't know if I'm gonna do this. No, I'm gonna do this. I don't even care if it's weird, okay? I want you to say out loud that God loves me. Not yet, okay? I want you to say out loud. I want you to say, God loves me, okay? And I'm gonna make you say it a bunch of times. It's not gonna be once, okay? And I want you to try to, at that moment, begin to remember this verse, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world, you included in it, no matter how bad you may be, that he gave up his son. God so loves, I love that so there. Not just God loves the world, God so loves the world, right? God loves you, friends. God loves you. And so I want to say this as a moment of worship to God, that we would begin to try to command our hearts to remind our hearts of God's love for us, okay? I want you to say out loud, say, God loves me. me. Say it again. Again. Say it like you mean it. Again. Again. Amen. Again. Again. Friend, God loves you. God loves you. You have to let your heart believe that. For God so loved the world that he gave up his son that, what's that next part? Whoever, okay? Who's not in the whoever? Who is not included in the phrase whoever? Is Donald Trump part of the whoever? (laughs) Some of y'all are like, oh, (laughs) don't balk at that, all right? We just say that he is, right? Are you in the whoever? Your sin is not stronger than the grace of God. And so no matter how bad you may think you are in here today, God loves you and gave up his son for you. You are also not good enough to achieve the holiness of God. So no matter how much you want to think you don't need God, God loves you and gave up his son for you. God loves everybody in this world. God loves that they would be saved So what about mission? So think about mission, okay? Think about this. In light of that, does God love your annoying neighbor upstairs who always seems to bang on the floor right when you're about to fall asleep? (laughs) Yeah, does God love that person, right? Uh, The other day, uh, we were driving home and we realized that there's like a random couch in front of our house, okay? And it's just like sitting on our property. I don't know who put it there. I don't know what's going on. And so I was mowing the other day and I got like, like mad, all right? I got very unsanctified for a moment. And I wanted to just like drag the couch down the street and just like put it in the middle of the street and be like, skip y'all, all right? But instead, I just kind of slightly put it on the side of the street, all right? Not like in the middle of the road. And then I came home a couple of days later and somebody had moved the couch back onto the middle of my property, even further in the middle than it was before. Does God love that person? I think so, all right? <laughs> I think so, right? God loves our neighbors no matter how unlovable they are. Does God love your annoying coworker who does only half the amount of work that you do and you always have to pick up the slack so that your company doesn't fail? Does God love that person? Does God want that person to know him? Instead of bickering, don't you think the gospel coming alive in their hearts would actually help the situation better than you just kind of slandering in your heart, right? Does God love your father who hurt you pretty badly? Does God love the, the, the spouse, the child, the wayward child, whatever it may be? Listen, friends, mission matters, okay? Because Jesus died that all may come into an understanding of him and the gospel, amen? This is why mission matters. We just said God loves us, God loves us. Look at how much God loves us. And he does love us that much. But that means he loves the whole world that much. 
The whole world, all of it, that whoever, anybody who would believe can be saved. Mission matters because Christ died for the world that all may know him. This is why mission matters. Look at 1 Timothy um, chapter uh, 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. This is talking about the goodness, the glory of God. It says, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Christ died for you. You aren't bad enough that Christ's blood can't cover over your sins. You're not good enough to escape the need from being reconciled with God. Christ died for us all. This is why mission matters. Because God loves the world, friends. God loves the world. God loves you, yes. And a lot of us, I know a lot of us in here, we came to faith later in life. We can remember what it was like living as a person who does not have the grace of God. Like God chose to love us through that. Should we then forget about everybody else living outside of the grace of God, outside of the salvific grace of God? God loves the world and wants them to come to know him. The beauty of what we just talked about is true for the whole entire world. Mission matters because it matters to God. It matters to his heart. He gave up his son that men and women would be saved. How, who are we to be selfish and with the good news of the gospel? He gave up everything that we may be saved. And if God can save men like Moses and, and David and, and Paul, which by the way, kind of a small side point, you know that uh, uh, Moses, David, and Paul were responsible for writing 31% of the Bible. Okay, so almost a third of the scriptures that we read were those three men responsible for. And I bring them all up because those three men were all murderers. They all murdered, they killed somebody, okay? And God chose to save them and to redeem them and then use them in such a powerful way that you and I are deeply impacted when we read the words of God through them today. If God can save a man like them, he can save you and I. He can save your annoying neighbor, who really the only problem is that you two are just kind of different. He can save the, the politician or the athlete or whoever you're mad at right now, who you think is a little bit more bad than you are. No, God can save them and we're in the same boat. God can save the world, okay? Let's finish out in John real quick. I wanna, I wanna finish this text. We're gonna spend just a couple seconds in this. So John chapter three, verses 17 through, uh, through 21. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Okay. Notice it is God who saves. We talked about last week. God is the missionary. God is the one who saves. He, uh, we didn't save ourselves because we were good enough. Okay. This text says that we were dead, right? Notice what it says in here. It's really intricate language because Jesus did come as a judge before the world, but it says he didn't come to condemn the world. What does that mean? The son of man did not come into a neutral world in order to save some and to, to condemn others. He came into an already condemned world that did not believe in him, that was not close to him in order to make salvation possible for all and thereby save some. Are y'all tracking with that? 
That's important to get, okay? He did not come into a neutral world to save some and to condemn others. He came into an already condemned world in order to make the gospel clear to all and thereby save some. Mission matters because Jesus is the hope of the world. Notice there in verse 18, the exclusivity of Jesus. All of scripture speaks to this, that apart from Christ, there's no other way to the Father. We need Jesus. We need to believe in Jesus. We need the blood of Jesus to cover over us if we are going to be saved. We can't be good enough. There's no other way. If it's not for Christ, we are condemned already. This text says, Why? Because we're all dead apart from him. And we search for what only can truly give life and never actually find it. And in the process, we align ourselves with everything that is against God. And we push God away and we push God away. We reject him trying to find what only he can give, but not coming to him in the process. I don't have time to go fully into exclusivity here. We've actually talked about that in other sermons. And so if that's something you struggle with, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of that. But there are hundreds of verses that hit on Jesus being our only hope. And if he's our only hope, then how much does the mission matter? Immensely. There's no other way. If we want the love of God, which all of us crave, whether we know it or not, we're just seeking it in the wrong things. If we, if we want that love, those of us who have tasted the goodness and experienced God, you know how beautiful that love is. Jesus is the hope of the world. Mission matters then because people need Jesus. Notice too, even in verse 21 there, like it's not that we who are Christians were better and therefore we were saved. It's not like, oh, Tori was a little bit better than Johnny. So I'm gonna save Tori. Like, no, the works that God is now doing, it says he's the one doing it. I come into the light, not because I was better. I came into the light and I was dead. And then God starts working through me. That's what this text says. It's God's the one who's working through us. It's his work that's within us. And so even those who are saved, it's not like we're great. We're just realized that we need to stop trying ourselves and trust in somebody else who's already done it for us. It's the works of God carrying out. Every time I talk about this topic, I'm reminded of a, a group of, of men and women called the Moravians. The Moravians were kind of the the first group of Protestant missionaries to go into really, really, really hard to reach places, places where nobody else wanted to go. Uh, They used to uh, uh, pack their caskets on the boat with them because they knew they wouldn't come home most likely. And so they'd like pack all their stuff in the caskets. Bye, see you in heaven. Right? It's like the message that was being sent off, right? Well, there's one story in particular of a group of young college kids. They're between like 18 and 20. And they heard that there were these slaves in the Caribbean islands that had never heard the gospel before. They were brought from Africa over to the Caribbeans and they were unable to hear the gospel because there weren't any churches or people that were set up that were reaching out to them. And so these two white males, all right, and think back at the time too, it's important that we put that in context, like where the rest of the world is kind of saying, ah, oh, they're, they're kind of lesser, it doesn't really matter. Like, no, they believe in the power of Jesus and the Imago Dei of men and women, and they know that Jesus is the only hope. And so they say, we want to go reach them. They say, well, actually, you can't. The only way you can go is if you sell yourself into slavery. But if you do that, you'll never be able to be redeemed. It's not like you can go in slavery for two years and then come back, Okay. Of course, their whole family's like, this is, this is absurd. Don't do this. This is preposterous, right? Packed with the love of God in their hearts and their understanding for God, they sold themselves into slavery to go reach these slaves that were on the islands. And as they were getting on the boat and they were being taken captive, their family's crying, they're yelling out. Somebody yells out something absurd to one of the boys, like, how selfish of you, how dare you, you know? And this 19, 20-year-old boy 
comes walking to the edge of the boat and screams out. I can't scream right now or else I would. (laughs) Screams out, shall not the slain lamb receive the full reward for his suffering? Jesus died for these slaves too. That's what he's saying. Jesus died for the whole world. Shouldn't they get a chance to hear the gospel and shouldn't that bring glory to Christ? If there are some sheep there on the Caribbean islands, then we need to bring them to Jesus that he may receive glory. Mission matters because Jesus is the hope of the world, friends. Now listen, it doesn't have to be that extreme, okay? Like I understand that's an extreme story, right? Like I doubt anybody in here is gonna like sell themselves into slavery to then preach the gospel. And that's okay, you don't have to feel bad about that. That's what we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Okay, it's important to remember that God is sovereign. It's God who saves. God's gonna use whatever means he needs to use in order to save some. It's just whether or not we're obedient to that. So I don't want you to, to feel the pressure of that unnecessarily, okay? But I do think scripture is clear on our calling though, which is why I share that story. We may not have to sell ourselves into slavery, but scripture is clear that he wants the gospel to go out into the world. Mission matters because Jesus is the hope of the world and God loves the world, okay? Let's read one text to close us out. 2 Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. Verses 17 through uh, 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, because God has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's probably one of my favorite verses in scripture. We could spend an hour on just this section because it's loaded, okay? <clears throat> but we're not. Help the Lord, all right? <laughs> but listen, okay? We are God's ambassadors. We are supposed to be God's representation of earth, but of what? Because here's what we usually do when we read this. We think about it and we think of our behavior or our character. That's what we think about when we think about this word ambassador. We want to behave the right way, act the right way, that we may look like Jesus. And that is true, okay? There are verses in scripture that highlight our importance of holiness, our importance of representing Christ in the way that we walk and live our lives. But that's not what this verse is hitting on. He says we are to be ambassadors in the message of reconciliation, God making his appeal, his verbal proclamation through us to be reconciled to God. That's what God wants us to do as his ambassadors. So Paul's point expands past behavior and goes into our actual proclamation of the gospel, the appeal to be reconciled to come back to God. Because God loves the world and because God longs for the people of the world to know him and because he wants us, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, to be his messengers, his ambassadors, his appeal to the world, then we need to preach the message of reconciliation, the gospel. We are gospel ambassadors Do you believe the gospel? If yes, then you are a gospel ambassador. Even more, look at verse 21. I love that. 
Jesus became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus died, we can be brought back into a right relationship with God. Jesus became our sin, our shame, our guilt, our filthiness, our death, so that by faith in him, we might become the righteous, worthy sons and daughters of God. I love that. The substitutionary atonement is what theologians call that. God, there was a substitute. He got what you deserve, and if you believe in Jesus, you get what he deserved. He took on your death, and if you believe in him, then you get the life that he deserved. This is the gospel, and this is what Paul wants us to be ambassadors for. Everyone is drawn to a story where somebody sacrifices like that for somebody else, right? Like, we're all drawn to that. That's why we like superhero movies. That's why we like like a powerful person sacrificing himself for the sake of others. We're drawn to that because the gospel has been hardwired into our hearts, God wants us to believe the ultimate story of sacrifice, the true expression of love. Jesus Christ died for you and I that we may be brought back to God. Mission matters because God loves us. God wants the world to know this love, the same love that you just proclaimed over yourself. He wants the whole world to understand this. So let us not be selfish with the beauty of the gospel. It's too beautiful. It's, 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 too, it's too needed. There's the exclusivity of Jesus. There's, there's the, the brokenness of the world. Like we need the gospel. The hope of America, the hope of the world is not us putting the right person in office. I can guarantee you that. It's us being gospel ambassadors. That's the hope of the world. That's what we need to be heralding and pushing and chasing after. Mission matters because God's lo- God loves the world. And so let us believe that for ourselves that God loves you beyond our wildest dreams. When we read of human stories, it, it, it trips us up. We think this is absurd. Like God loves you with that type of love, but he also loves the whole world. And he wants whoever would profess him to be saved. I love you guys. Let's pray. Um, God, thank you for the, the gospel truth. <clears throat> God, that you loved broken, sin-filled, scarred, dark men like me, Jesus. You loved me before I loved you, before I had anything to offer, before any gifts were imparted to me, before there was anything good, God, you loved me, you died for me, Jesus. You died for me knowing that after I accepted you, I would still sin against you. God, and you love me still. God, you love us like that. God, help us to believe that truth. God, I pray right now by your power, Holy Spirit, that people, men and women in here who wrestle frequently with your love for them, that even right now you would be doing a work in their hearts to remind them of the power of the gospel that you love them. God, remind them, encourage them, challenge them through your word, through prayer during this week. Remind them of your love for them. And then God, for all of us in here, would you remind us of your love for the world? Would you help us to be your message of reconciliation to the world? God, that you love them. You long for them to come into intimacy and true relationship with you. Jesus, thank you for becoming sin, that in you we might become the righteousness of God. I praise things in your precious name, Christ. Amen.